Happy Halloween from your Costume Drama Rewind hosts, Megan Jutt and Laura Skog. As a final treat for spooky October, we're reviewing The Lighthouse. Made in 2019, it was directed by Robert Eggers and stars Willem Dafoe, Robert Pattinson, and an aggressive number of seagulls. Moi, moi, moi. There's a lot to unpack in this movie, from references to Greek mythology, to the psychosexual underpinnings, to the Lovecraftian vibes. There's also a good bit to be said about the history. So first, a quick synopsis. It's the late 1800s, and Robert Pattinson, who plays an assistant lighthouse keeper named Ephraim Winslow, has arrived on a remote island to help the main lightkeeper, a retired sailor named Thomas Wake, played by Willem Dafoe, for a month. He's replacing a lightkeeper who died after going mad? From visions of sirens and thinking that there's enchantment in the light. This is what we call a red flag, kids. <laughs> yeah, this isn't a particularly enjoyable posting at all. Our Pats is stuck doing all the gross chores and monotonous tasks. Their only water supply is polluted. And at first, he's reluctant to drink the alcohol, supposedly because of the lighthouse service regulations. A one-eyed seagull and all of its feathery friends insist on harassing him, and Willem Dafoe, a noticeably weird and disgusting guy who won't get off his back about cleaning the place, is also noticeably weird about not letting him go into the lantern room. That's probably because Willem Dafoe likes to strip down and waltz around the light naked every night, suggesting that the dead light keep wasn't the only one going mad. Speaking of that, Robert Pattinson starts having weird hallucinations from the very beginning of sea monsters and mermaids, as well as a blonde man as seen from the back of his head, and he's desperate for this assignment to get over. Despite Willem Dafoe's warning about harming seagulls being bad luck, our Pats ends up killing the one-eyed seabird in a fit of rage after finding one of its dead compatriots, spoiling the water in the cistern even further. And this seems to bring about a terrible storm that stops the relief boat from getting to the lighthouse and picking up our pats. That's what you get. The two men are stuck without shipments of food and alcohol, and their own supplies have gotten ruined by the storm. They start drinking heavily, and they bounce from being in hysterical bouts of friendship to being violent with each other. Eventually, it comes out that Ephraim Winslow's real name is Thomas Howard, and he's a recovering alcoholic. Ephraim Winslow is the name of the blonde man that he keeps envisioning, and it turns out that Howard killed them when they were both lumberjacks up in Maine. Willem Dafoe also starts acting somehow even more unhinged, apparently experiencing PTSD from prior traumatic experiences. Like at one point, he calls down this vicious sea curse on Robert Pattinson after he insults his cooking. Pattinson tries to escape the island, but Willem chases after him with an axe and ruins the lifeboat. Finally, they run out of booze, and they resort to drinking denatured alcohol, which is, like, legit poison. <laughs> the next day, after finding out that Willem Dafoe plans on telling the lighthouse service that he should get fired, Edward Cullen finally kills Willem Dafoe and rushes up to that forbidden light. There, he touches it, but he's petrified by some eldritch horror that never appears on the screen for us, and he falls all the way down the light tower. The movie concludes with him being stark naked on the rocks outside, with seagulls feasting on his entrails. Delightful. First impressions. I knew 0.0% about this movie before Laura suggested it and or forced me to watch. <clears throat> I wish I was still back at the point in my life where I knew 0.0% about this movie. So first of all, it pleases me that I got us to watch yet another nautical-themed movie so quickly. Yar. But I am a wuss, and I can't handle anything that's actually scary. And when this movie came out, it was advertised as being a horror film. 
So I was a little bit leery before I suggested it. However, back in March, I saw a YouTube video that someone did where it's a bunch of the movie clips put to uh, SpongeBob SquarePants background music. And so when I watched it, it was definitely a lot less creepy and more just absurd. But I am pretty sure that I've lost my privileges for recommending movies for the podcast for quite a while. <laughs> it's going to be all Little Women and Mouse on the Mayflower all winter. <laughs> oh, no. Let's get down to the heart of the matter. Just about every lighthouse has at least one ghost story, if not more. Why is this? Well, first, probably because we always assume that anything old has to be haunted. Including myself. <laughs> You're still in your prime. But there are some distinct factors that could lead to lighthouse keepers either seeing ghosts, witnessing horrifying incidents that would scar them for life, or just stuff that would inspire a scary story. They are all based on normal features of a lightkeeper's life, and the movie touches on a lot of them. For starters, there's the isolation. Offshore lighthouses were lonely places, and the lightkeeps and their families could get cut off from the mainland for months at a time due to the weather, the waves, or even just the location. According to the book Brilliant Beacons, A History of the American Lighthouse by Eric J. Dolan, the isolation did severely impact the mental health of many lightkeepers and their families, and it may have even caused a number of suicides. The U.S. Lighthouse Board actually had to start a book box service for its employees, sending these boxes to the staff throughout the year to keep them company. However, the greatest improvement to mental health was when people started getting hold of radios. There's also the monotony of doing the same tasks day after day without getting much more than like a day off every year, and this also impacted mental health. Cleaning the brass, which Willem Dafoe names as one of Arpat's duties, was frankly a real drag for plenty of wikis, and Dolan says it was one of the most labor-intensive jobs, and it inspired a poem written in the 1920s called Brasswork, or The Lighthouse Keeper's Lament. And it includes such verses as, Oh, what is the bane of the lightkeeper's life that causes him worry, struggle, and strife, that makes him use cuss words and beat his wife? It's brasswork. And... And when I have polished until I am cold, and I'm taken aloft to the heavenly fold, will my harp and crown be made of pure gold? No. Brass work. Willem Dafoe even sings this during the movie, and this makes me suspect the filmmakers read the book. There's also the danger that was part of the job. Basically, the mission of bringing the light was more valuable than the lightkeeper's lives themselves. As Arpat shows, you could fall down the stairs, you could fall from the tower, and with all that kerosene, you could also catch on fire. But those weren't the only risks. Dolan gives the example of the light keepers at the Sharps Island Light in Maryland. Two of the keepers abandoned it because unsafe conditions that popped up, and it eventually washed into the surf with some of the workers still inside. Those who stayed with the tower got promoted, but those who ditched beforehand got fired. Light keepers also had to ride out vicious storms that could wipe out entire lighthouses and brutal cold. The wikis had to go out on the railing to scrape ice off the lights, and this risked falling or gain frostbite, or both. And they might even have to risk their lives to rescue people from shipwrecks, like the famous keeper Ida Lewis did, rowing out numerous times to save people, or help take care of the bodies that washed up on shore. <sighs> and finally, there were lighthouse keepers who did go mad, like the two main characters in this movie, but mercury poisoning might have been the cause. To probably rotate the light's lenses, by the late 1800s, some lighthouses began using mercury flotation systems. This allowed the lenses to move easily. 
An article in Hakai Magazine, which focuses on coastal environmental science, notes that because lightkeepers came into contact with mercury during their daily tasks, it's likely that some of the insanity cases were caused by this exposure. Perfectly timed with Laura forcing me to watch this movie. I just finished a long article at the Canadian publication The Walrus that traces the history of what psychologists call grief hallucinations, the apparent experience of encountering someone close to you after their death. We talked a few weeks ago about the Victorians and their love of ghost stories, and some of the best-known 19th-century writers, from Harriet Beecher Stowe to Mark Twain, had what they believed were paranormal encounters that either heralded or followed the deaths of family members. And they included some of these elements in some of their most famous stories. The first major attempt to study the phenomena kicked off in Britain just about a decade before the events of the Lighthouse, with the founding of the London Society for Psychical Research. The Society asked a randomized cross-section of the British public to recount whether they'd ever had, quote, a vivid impression of seeing or being touched by a human being, or of hearing a voice or sound which suggested a human presence when no one was there. They were stunned by the sheer number and vividness of the stories that came flooding in, and in 1886 they published a selection of their findings in a two-volume work titled Phantasms of the Living. A second study that began in 1889 with 410 volunteer researchers surveyed 17,000 respondents in the UK and US, but also France, Germany, Russia, and Brazil. And they found that between 7 and 19% of all people experienced hallucinations of another human presence or what they may have considered to be the ghost of a loved one at some point in their lives. I'm unsure whether this would be comforting or disturbing to Willem Dafoe Robert Pattinson, and the blonde guy wandering about the island with them. Pretty sure disturbed. (laughs) (laughs) You may have gotten annoyed with the foghorn that goes off repeatedly throughout the movie, and you're not alone. Around the time that the movie set, which appears to be some point in the 1890s, many lights were switching from ringing bells or firing guns or cannons to using fog sirens to the dismay of those who were nearby. This could get really annoying really quickly if you were in a place that had a lot of fog. Dolan mentions one instance at the Point Reyes Lighthouse in California in 1887, where they had to keep the signal going for five seconds for about every minute for an entire week. Which also sounds kind of like my snooze alarm on a Monday morning. (laughs) The filmmaker has shared that he originally set out to produce a contemporary take on Edgar Allan Poe's uh, last known work of fiction, also called The Lighthouse. That story begins on New Year's Day, 1796, with a young man arriving for a coveted appointment as a lighthouse keeper off the coast of Norway. It's written as a daily journal, and over the course of several days, he explores his new home, enjoying the solitude, but also expressing a lot of worry and fear that the structure might not be sound. The diary ends with a heading for January 4th, 1796, after which the text abruptly cuts off. Scholars still debate whether Poe was planning to write a longer story and left it unfinished because of the alcoholism and death, (laughs) or whether the sudden break implies that the young lighthouse keeper suddenly dies. The movie is also inspired in part by an event that's known as the Smalls Lighthouse Tragedy, which occurred in 1801 at a remote lighthouse off the coast of Wales. The two lighthouse keepers, Thomas Howell and Thomas Griffith, were known to quarrel frequently, possibly over which one got to be called Thomas. 
And when Griffith died in a freak accident, Hal was afraid to bury him at sea in case the authorities accused him of murder and he needed the body as evidence. He instead built a makeshift coffin and tied it outside the lighthouse. Storms blew the box apart and a decomposing arm fell out. Oh, good. (laughs) And came to rest within view of one of the lighthouse's windows. Over the next few months, gusts of wind would move the arm back and forth so that it appeared to beckon to Hal, who obviously suffered some psychological effects from this. By the time he was rescued from the island, he was about half mad. After that, the governing body for lighthouse keepers in the UK changed policy so that they were manned by three people instead of two. Now we come to the question, how many hats are we awarding to the lighthouse? I'm going to go with 3.5 U.S. Lighthouse Board uniform caps. We know I love all aspects of maritime history, and I love that the movie was steeped in it. They hit tons of little details, like referencing the Brasswork poem, wearing coveralls that have the U.S. Lighthouse Board logos on them, even making obscure references to real ships of the time, and all sorts of other details. Even the weather was authentic. They filmed on the coast in Nova Scotia, so the storm conditions were actually real the entire movie. I will say, however, that due to the not-safe-for-work scenes, I definitely would not watch it with my parents. As a technical achievement, I will give The Lighthouse its full due. It is incredibly well-done, creative, detail-oriented, film students everywhere are crying over it with joy. Fabulous. As a technical achievement, I'm happy to award it a solid four and a half U.S. Lighthouse Board Uniform caps. For how much I enjoyed watching this movie or would ever want to repeat the experience under any circumstances, I award it the raggedy brim from one single uniform cap because it is just weird and unpleasant to sit through. Fine. Finally, we come to a few sundry other notes. The details of this are pretty technical with lots of numbers and colors, so I'll post them in our show notes at CostumeDramaRewind.com, but the filmmakers used black and white 35mm film along with a variety of special vintage lenses and some custom filters to emulate the look of film from the late 19th century, which was a really cool effect for which I award them full credit. At one point, Robert Pattinson insults Willem Dafoe, saying that he sounds like a Captain Ahab parody. And he's definitely not wrong. According to IMDb, the screenwriters actually studied 19th century literature about New England and sailing, such as Herman Melville's works, to inspire how the characters spoke, and having participated in two Moby Dick readathons, I can attest that the script is definitely Melvillian. But you also kind of talk like a Captain Ahab parody. And that is the nicest thing you have ever said to me. (laughs) (laughs) And Robert Pattinson also had to learn a particular main accent for his character. So the prayer that the two men recite before each meal during the movie, quote, should pale death with treble dread, make the ocean caves our bed, God who hears the surges roll, deign to save our suppliant soul, comes from the last verse of the poem Sailor's Hammock Parting by Lydia Sigourney, a New England poet who is famous in the 19th century, but has been largely forgotten today. And the songs in the movie are all sea shanties and work songs from the era. Homeward Bound, Doodle Let Me Go, How We Got Up to the Woods Last Year, and Monday Morning, which is actually a naval song from the 1900s. And this may be the saddest flex ever, but I am a bit of a sea shanty connoisseur. Captain Ahab parody. (laughs) But I have to admit that other than Homeward Bound, I wasn't familiar with any of them, so this was also adding to my repertoire. Oh, good. (laughs) 
for our book recommendations this week, definitely check out Eric J. Dolan's Brilliant Beacons. It provided a huge chunk of the research for this episode, and I'm pretty sure for the filmmakers as well. Next time on Costume Drama Rewind, we are headed back to 1968 for another historic, contentious election year with one of my personal favorites, the movie Bobby. Thanks for listening to Costume Drama Rewind. And happy Halloween! Woo!